So if you don't currently have uh, small kids in your house, you may not know that this is the season of parental coaching. Here's what I mean by that. At some point, parents of small children are going to call a family meeting. They're going to say, come here, sweetheart. Come gather around. Come on, let's go. Uh, I need to teach you something about how we respond when we open gifts. Because there's three gifts that you get. One, you get a gift that you want. And then sometimes you get a gift that you don't really know what it is. When you open the box and you open it and, and you look at it and you think to yourself, what is this? And then there are times, look, look, look at me, sweetie. Look right here in my eyes. Look, sweetie. Sometimes you get a gift that you don't want. And our goal this year is that we're going to respond the same way, no matter which of the three it is. Are you listening to me, sweetie? Here's why. Because if grandma gets you a gift that you don't want, and you look like on your face you don't like it, you might make grandma cry. And you don't want grandma to cry on Christmas, do you? No, you don't. So let's make sure that when you open a gift, the response on your face says, oh, I love you so much. Now, that's the conversation in some form or fashion. You may not be having it with the southern drawl that I have. But a lot of people are going to be having that with kids. Now, lest you think that it's just kids having that conversation. Uh, there probably has been conversations happening out here where somebody says, sweetheart, I need you to see uh, to seem excited when you see what my mom got you for Christmas this year. And you think to yourself, what do you mean? I just need, I know what it is, and I need you to be excited. Well, what is it? Well, I'm not going to tell you because then you won't look surprised. I need you to be surprised and excited. That's what I need. Okay, right? Uh, responses are important when we think about gifts. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but have you ever been in that situation where you open the box and you think to yourself, what is this? And you're trying to coach your face to be excited. And I don't even like know the ethical right thing to do in that moment. Do you ask, what is this? Or do you go, oh my goodness, I love you so much. You know, I just, it's such a weird place to be. It's such a hard place to navigate. Here's why I'm, I'm bringing it up. Number one, because just in a couple of weeks, you need to be thinking about these things. But secondly, and perhaps more importantly, this morning, we are thinking about responses to the proclamation of Advent. So what we're going to do is hold on to the concept of of responses. We're going to release the, the thinking about when I open a gift, how do I respond? But we are going to think about from a very practical and also theological standpoint, how we respond not to the gifts that we're opening underneath the tree, but how do we respond to the declaration, to the announcement of the greatest news that has ever hit your ears? The announcement that God has intended and voluntarily come near to us. 
What is your response? This morning, if you have your notes, you see that we're going to be thinking about that. Specifically, from the scripture that we read during our Advent uh, candle lighting, Luke chapter 2. That's what we've been looking at over the past couple of weeks. Uh, The past two weeks, specifically, we've been looking at uh, the angel's announcement of Advent. First week, we looked at the angel saying to the shepherds, Do not be afraid. Behold, that's the whole phrase that our entire Advent season hinges and hangs on. Behold, pay very close attention to this. Uh, Behold, I bring you great news that's going to be with great joy. For unto you, week two, in the city of David, a Savior has been born who is Christ the Lord. So over the past two weeks, we've really been focusing on the announcement The angel of the Lord who appeared to the shepherds who were working the night shift one night and the announcement of the angel of the Lord to the shepherds today, we move on. This morning, we're going to look at the responses that we find in the scripture. And here is the reason that I think this is important for literally every person who's sitting here this morning and for all of you who are watching online with us, either live or in years to come when you're watching back through. Here's here's something that I, I really, really want you to catch. And I'm saying this from a place of deep reflection. Like I'm telling you, I have spent hours poring over this statement. Should I say this statement? Should I not say this statement? Do I announce it? Do I keep it to myself? Here's, I've been really struggling with, do I believe what I'm about to tell you? And I've come to the conclusion, yes, I believe what I'm about to tell you. Here it is. I feel strongly that every human being on planet Earth, you, me, everybody sitting close to you, all your friends, all your enemies, all your co-workers and classmates, everybody that you live close to, I believe that every human being at the announcement of the Advent should embrace one of these two responses that we're looking at this morning. That's how big of a deal I think this is. And so I want to share it with you this morning. Verses 8 through 12 is the announcement of the angel. So the shepherds are there, they're working their night shift, they're keeping watch over their flock by night, they're doing a good job, they're working for a raise, and all of a sudden, an angel in verse 9 disrupts everything and delivers to them this Advent message in verse 10. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. That's what we've looked at for two weeks. Today, we are now looking at the response. The first response is found in verse 13. It says, suddenly a heavenly host showed up. Suddenly in verse 13, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God And saying over into verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Do you comprehend this morning that this Advent announcement is so 
critically important to all of heaven that at the announcement, all of heaven couldn't even be quiet, couldn't even wait for the shepherds to respond. All of heaven erupted in worship and praise at the announcement that the angel of the Lord made to the shepherds. I mean, it says suddenly, no, no sooner has the angel of the Lord made this incredible announcement that a Savior has been born, that the Messiah, the Lord, has been delivered unto you today, than there is an inc- incredible host of angels, and they erupt with praise, and they're crying out, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom it dwells. Think about that. My goodness. Can you imagine an announcement so eternally significant that all of heaven erupts when it is delivered to human beings? Verse 13 and 14 instruct us about the values and the desires of the kingdom of God. This angel shows up to a couple of shepherds that are out there chasing their sheep around the countryside and arrest their attention, deliver the good news, and before they even have a chance to speak, a whole host of angels have shown up and they're praising God. Think about that. That's how powerful of a story this is. That's how moving of a proclamation this is. All of heaven erupts in worship when the angel of the Lord delivers this news to the shepherds. And one of the things that I want you to notice, and we'll spend just a moment on this, but I want you to see the content of their worship. These angels make two very specific, bold declarations before they, uh, verse 15 said, just go back into heaven. The first in verse 14 is they make this, this proclamation, glory to God in the highest. And isn't it true that our worship should be primarily focused on ascribing greatness and glory to God. I mean, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I introduced the response as something that was so uh, passion-filled and emotion-filled that all of heaven couldn't keep quiet. They, they had to erupt with worship, and that gives you a sense that it was, it was fueled by emotion. But I want you to see the theological accuracy that accompanies that. Because I don't want for us to get so emotionally passionate that we leave behind theological accuracy. The very first thing that the angels cry out is glory to God in the highest. And the second, for you and for I, is equally important. And on earth, Peace. Peace. We spend a lot of time and money, don't we, on seeking meaning in life, 
fulfillment in life, purpose in life. We spend a lot of time reading it and watching YouTube videos on it. And we shell out a lot of money to gurus and people who help us to find that. And listen, if you need a life coach, praise God, they're good. If you need a counselor or therapist, praise God, they can help you work through a lot of stuff. But I want to simplify things for a lot of people here this morning. And, and I want to just point your attention to verse 14. And I want you to understand something. That if you have verse 14, you have everything that you need. And on earth, peace. When you have peace with God, you can live a fulfilling life. When you have peace with God, you'll wake up with purpose. Now, in a moment, we're going to talk about what happens when we get off track and, you know, the, the faith train goes off the rails. We're going to look at that a little bit. But I just want you to hear this again. This is, this is what the angels responded with when the angel of the Lord showed up that night to the shepherds and said, I'm bringing you this great news. And all of heaven erupted with joyous worship and these heavenly hosts of angels are praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. I got to tell you, there's nothing like having peace with God. It doesn't matter if it's Advent or non-Advent season of life, the ups, the downs, the in-betweens, the good times, the hard times, the times where I feel confident and the times that I have no idea what tomorrow holds. Peace with God changes everything. I want you to know that. So the first response wasn't even a response by people. It was a response by angels. Because as soon as the angel of the Lord declared this Advent proclamation to the shepherds, heaven couldn't keep quiet anymore. They erupted with praising God. And then it is only in verse 15 when the angels went back into heaven and they quieted themselves and they got themselves under control. And they said, all right, let's go back to heaven. That the shepherds, we get to see what the shepherds response was. But look with me in verse 15. I want you to see. The second response that we're looking at this morning and a response to the proclamation of Advent, God choosing to come near. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. They went immediately or urgently. Some of your translations will say, and they went with urgency and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. So this morning, if you're making notes and you're looking at that second point, what's the second response? The second response is a seeking of Jesus. That's why I say to you this morning, I believe this is true for you. And this isn't just true for you. It's true for the preacher this morning. And it's true for all of our friends, all of our family, all of our co-workers, all of our acquaintances, everybody that we know, everybody who exists today and everybody who will exist tomorrow. I believe that our response to the story of Advent, to the proclamation and the declaration that God has come near is one of these two things. We should erupt with worship. Or we should seek this Jesus that the angel of the Lord 
speaks of. Now, the second, the second response, it just has me. It is both comforting and challenging. It, it just has me. It has my thoughts. It has my imagination. The fact that these shepherds sought after Jesus. And they say to one another, we've got to go check this out. We've got to go look into this. And I think one of the reasons, or a couple of reasons, actually. In fact, in my notes, I wrote down three. Three reasons that I'm so captured. I mean, I love the angel's response. I love it. I love the idea that they couldn't even wait for the shepherds to speak. Like heaven just shows up and starts shouting. I love that. But the shepherds have me. Seeking Jesus specifically for three reasons. I want to share them with you. Because they do it immediately. Do you see what happens in the scripture? Can I just break this down for you? These guys are on a night shift. They're watching their sheep. And the scripture says with haste, with urgency, they immediately left and went looking for Jesus. They walked off the job. That's what they did. Now, don't go quitting tomorrow and say, well, Pastor Zach told me I just needed to seek Jesus. But can we just acknowledge that for a second? I think this is why it has me so much. These shepherds were so captivated that they said there is nothing more important than looking into this announcement that this angel has just delivered to us. Not even our job, not even our 401k, not even all of these sheep that are running around the countryside. We have to go now. They went immediately. The second reason this captures me is because of the total refocus that it does in the life of the shepherds. There is nothing that stays the same mind. They are totally refocused in life and they are consumed with the thought and the idea that there is a savior that has been born down the street. And that's all they can think about. How odd it would be if the shepherds would have said to the Advent pronouncement from the angel of the Lord, hmm, that's interesting. But you know, Mr. Angel of the Lord, we're a little behind. And so as interesting as that is right now, we're really focused on getting the wool off of these sheep. So we'll look into that later. Well, that would be an interesting story, wouldn't it? If that's what would happen. But no, it's not. There was a total and complete refocus when they discovered 
that the Messiah, the Christ child, the Lord, the Savior of the world, had been born. Total refocus. And beyond focus, beyond what they were thinking intellectually, another reason that this grips me is because it produced in them uncharacteristic action or movement in their life. Now that may seem a little strange to say out loud. So let me just explain what I mean by that. Shepherding life by nature is a little rhythmic and a little monotonous and whatever you did yesterday, you're probably gonna to do today to some extent and tomorrow and etc. and etc. and etc. What I want you to see is that when that angel showed up and pronounced the advent, it changed the rhythm and the movement and the direction of the shepherd's lives. That's what grips me. I can almost see it. I can almost see one of the shepherds there in Bethlehem. Joseph's there, Mary, Jesus. And one of their phones dings. They got a text. They answer it. Hey, sweetie, what's up? Question mark. Where are you at? Question mark. Bethlehem, dot, dot, dot. Bethlehem, question mark. What are you doing there? Question mark. Talking to Joe. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> Who is Joe? Question mark. I don't know a Joe. Joe is Mary's husband. Who is Mary? Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> Jesus's mom, exclamation point. Who is Jesus? Question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. The savior of the world. They were just doing their thing. They were just being shepherds, tending sheep. And an angel shows up and gives this announcement that the Savior of the world had been born. And it literally changes everything about their life. They immediately began to seek Jesus. They're focused on, I want to get in front of this child that has been born. Their life is now characterized differently. Their actions are different. Their ambitions are different. Their movements are different. Why? Because of the Advent declaration that the Savior had been born. This is why I say I've thought about this. And I believe that no matter who you are, no matter what position in life you have, no matter your level of belief in Christianity, no matter your level of maturity in Christianity, that when you hear the announcement that God came near, our response should be one of these two, worship or seeking. And I want to ask you this morning, what is your response? 
You may be saying to yourself this morning, well, it's not one of those two. So, Pastor, I need you to address that. I want to address that. I want to address that this morning uh, by acknowledging that while I think that we can agree that worship or seeking the Lord should be one of our two responses when the Advent proclamation and declaration is made to human beings, we all, if we're honest, can look at each other and go, but that doesn't always happen. There's a lot of things that pause those two responses from happening. And why is that? And maybe you're here this morning listening to the proclamation of the Advent and you're not worshiping or seeking Jesus and you're thinking to yourself, what's going on in me? I want to speak to that for just a moment. Before I do that, I want you to notice in your notes that we're going to look at four uh, places that human beings end up sometimes, four places that are deep in feelings and emotions. And I want to be clear with you about something. Worshiping Jesus and seeking Jesus, we can do those no matter how we feel. So I just want to be clear that while emotions and feelings are important in the kingdom of God and God gave you emotions and God gave me emotions and it's good for us to know them and to feel them and to express them, I want to be clear that worship and seeking Christ can be done no matter what feelings we have going on on the inside. Now, having said that, I want to walk through with you this morning, and I hope that you'll walk with me uh, through four feelings that we might have at the proclamation of the Advent that are not worship or seeking. And the first is this, guilt. What if I feel guilt when God comes near? What if instead of joy... This pink candle that we lit this morning symbolizing joy. What if I don't have joy at the announcement of God coming near? Instead, what if I have guilt? What do I do with that? Well, if you do, I want to share with you a couple of thoughts. One, you're not alone. Oh, my goodness, are you not alone? If you're making notes this morning, would you write down the name Peter? Peter is uh, one of the very influential characters in the New Testament. He was a disciple who became an apostle. And there's a story in the Gospels about how Peter uh, met Jesus. Peter was a fisherman, and one night he had been fishing. And uh, he, he did like I do when I go fishing. He caught nothing. And, uh, but it's not that embarrassing for me anymore because it happens all the time. He was a professional fisherman, so he should not goose egg it like I do. But he did. He goose egged it. He got nothing. He got zero. And uh, he was coming back in and Jesus said to him, hey, uh, if you'll put out over here, you got a better shot, bud. That's what he said to Peter. And Jesus said that to Peter. He didn't say the bud part, but he did say put out over here for a catch. Peter said, you know, Jesus, we've been fishing all night. But if you tell me to, I'll do it. And he goes over there. And this sounds like a fisherman's story, I understand. But the scripture says he caught so much fish that it filled up the boat. And this is, this is where it really starts feeling like a fisherman's story. He says, so much fish that he had to call his friend's boat over. And you know you got a lot of fish when you start calling people over to where your, your fishing hole is, right? You're like, hey, come over here. I got too many. So they fill that boat up. 
And in this moment, everybody is doing what you would do. If you saw this happen with your own eyes, you would be going, wow. You'd be going, this is amazing. You would be ooing and aahing. And do you know what Peter did? The scripture said that while everybody was going ooh and aah, Peter walked over to Jesus and he knelt before him. And you remember what he said? Go away from me, Lord, because I'm a sinful man. In the presence of Almighty God, Peter felt that guilt. Peter felt what it was like to be in the presence of Almighty God, gripped with the sinfulness that was in him. Whether it be what was in his heart or what was in his mind, or thinking about what he had done this past weekend or what his life reflected, he felt the guilt. And Jesus says to him, don't be afraid. Follow me. From now on, you're going to be a fisher of men. And when Peter heard that word of grace, he got up and he left and he followed Jesus. So if you're here this morning and you're listening to the proclamation of the Advent story and you're hearing what we call the great news of God coming near and you're going, I don't know that this is good news. I feel kind of guilty right now. You're not the only one. Peter felt the same way. If you're making notes, write down. uh, This is from the Gospel of Luke as well, the book that we're in right now. But this is uh, Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. It tells the story. Now, this is a fictional story that Jesus tells. In the Bible, they're called parables. A parable is an earthly story that carries a heavenly punch, right? So it's something that happens in real life that has this theological meaning. And so Jesus tells them this parable. If you grew up in church, this is the parable of the prodigal son. This guy grows up under this uh, father's home and the father's pretty well off. He's got a lot of money. And one day the kid loses his mind and he tells the dad, dad, I want all of my inheritance now. So the dad gives it to him and he leaves and he goes off to a faraway land and he squanders it. We don't know what all he buys, but you can imagine what all he bought. He squandered all of his money and it's so bad that he ends up in like pig pens, like literal pig pens. And one day I get just dawns on this guy. He's like, wait a second. The workers that work at my dad's house have a better life than I have here. I know that I could never go home, but maybe I can go back and just apply for a job. And maybe I can spend the rest of my life being a worker instead of a son. So he goes home. And the scripture says that when his dad saw him coming, you know what that means? His dad was watching for him. Incredible. When he saw him coming, he jumped up and he ran to embrace his son. And he said, come home. So if when we celebrate and sing about God coming near, 
if you've got all of these feelings of guilt bouncing around your soul and you're thinking to yourself, I can't celebrate God coming near because I'm so sinful. You need to read Luke chapter 15 and you need to hear me when I tell you, just come home. Just come home. You may feel guilt, but just come home and let the living God scandalize you with his grace and his kindness. And so if, if this season, worship and seeking, is not the responses that you have, but instead your response is this response of guilt, then I encourage you to come home. What if I don't feel guilt? What if I feel distracted? There are so many words that we could use in place of distracted. I wrote down like four other words. I want to share them with you. The first, if you grew up in church, you probably know this word, lukewarm. Do you remember that word? Lukewarm. That's from the book of Revelation. And it's a warning to Christians who are living this lukewarm lifestyle. And you may be thinking, what does lukewarm mean? Well, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like when you have one foot in the kingdom of God and then you've got like one foot over in the world and you're kind of like, excuse my hips, but you're like kind of like doing this dance, right? Between the things of God and the things of the world and you're trying to figure out which kingdom do I want to belong to? I'm kind of like lukewarm. I, I really love the Lord often, but sometimes, sometimes I just really love the things of the world and I feel lukewarm. And, and maybe that's, where you're struggling right now, you're not worshiping or seeking God because you're lukewarm. Or maybe it's not like that's maybe not the precise word for you. Maybe it's not lukewarm. Maybe it's busy. Maybe you just are so stinking busy that you are struggling finding time for worship and seeking the Lord. Again, back to the shepherds, right? How odd would it be if the shepherds would have looked at the angel of the Lord right in the eyeballs and say, that's really awesome, but I've got a job to do. You need to come back later. <laughs> I'm too busy to deal with this. No, that's not what happened at all. And we can look at it in the text and go, that would have been crazy. But then we look at our calendars and our schedules and we can't see it in our own life, how busy we might have become. And so this morning, maybe you're distracted with your calendar or your schedule, or maybe you're distracted because you're lukewarm, or maybe you're distracted because you're overwhelmed. And you can't even really put words to it, and you can't even maybe put your finger on it, but you just feel this sense of overwhelmness that you're going, I don't know what to think, or what to do, or maybe you're confused. Maybe you're confused during Advent because Christmas time isn't something normally that you love. Trees you can take or leave, lights you can take or leave, right? Christmas dinner, you can take it or leave it. It, it doesn't register as that important to you, and you're having a hard time separating the Advent from the cultural ways that we express ourselves in the month of December. So maybe you feel confused by that. Maybe, you know, the songs that you hear on the radio station aren't your favorite right now. 
but you still want to celebrate the Christ child and you're trying to navigate all of that. And maybe you're just feeling distracted. I want to share with you a couple of scriptures if I could. I think these will help you if if you look at your life and you say to yourself, I'm not really worshiping right now and I'm not really seeking the Lord. And it's not guilt. I just feel so eternally distracted by life. Let me share with you a couple of these. Now, the first one is Matthew chapter six, verse thirty three. And if you were to turn there this morning, what you would find is that Jesus is right in the middle of a sermon. I mean, Matthew five, six and seven are what we traditionally call the Sermon on the Mountain. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's saying to them, listen, guys, there's a lots of stuff that is important. Where you're going to sleep at night, kind of a big deal. What you're going to eat, important. Clothes that you're going to wear, yes, important stuff. Jesus says to them, but seek first the kingdom of God above all these things, and they'll be given to you. What is Jesus' remedy for distraction? It's to refocus yourself on what biblically is the most important thing in your life. What is to win the priority over and over and over again? Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. A Hebrews chapter 12, I think is verses one through three, says it also, but differently. Uh, the author of Hebrews says, throw off everything that hinders you and holds you back so that you can run the race that God has set before you. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because the author of Hebrews doesn't say just throw off the sin that holds you back. The author of Hebrews says throw off everything that hinders you or holds you back. The, the, the implication of that is that there could be good stuff in your life that you've prioritized over the kingdom of God. And now good stuff is holding you back from your first priority. And you need to reprioritize because you're becoming distracted. And so that we are not worshiping and we're not seeking the Lord. So maybe this morning you say, nope, it's not guilt. I checked in. It's not guilt. I've checked in with myself. It's not distraction. What if I feel nothing? This is perhaps one of the most serious because it forces us to have a conversation about a topic or a theme. I guess I would use the word theme in the Bible. It's a very rugged, raw concept. And that concept is spiritual death. Do you know that it's possible for you to be physically alive? Obviously, <laughs> your heart is beating right now. Your lungs are working. Your brain is firing. It's working like everything's going on right physically for you to be physically alive. But did you know that you can be spiritually dead? And this is why the conversation about uh, eternal things are so important. I was sharing in the first service that I have friends that I talk with sometimes and uh, they always want to debate me about Christianity. What a joy, I tell you. Uh, they want to debate. And one of the, one of the leading debates that, that I have sometimes with my friends is I don't need God to be good. I can do good things 
without God. And I think I've said this in, in this room even before. The, the idea isn't that God makes you good. The idea that salvation is important is that God doesn't make you good. God makes you alive. We are spiritually dead in our sin. And, and I know that we just like dove right into the deep end. So I know we just went to a new place, but I just want you to take this journey with me. The scripture teaches that we can have physical life, but we can be spiritually dead because we have rebelled against God and our sin has separated us from God. And so it could be that you're here today going, I've, I'm not worshiping when I hear the Advent proclamation and I'm not seeking Jesus because I don't feel anything. Like when you tell that story, I just kind of go in my mind, hmm, okay. Why is that? And I say this with true sincerity and love. It could be that, that you have spiritual death, that you're physically alive, but you need, to, you need the peace that God brings. You need to be made alive in Christ. And I don't know that I've done this justice at all explaining this, so I think what I'll do is just read some of the Bible to you. Uh, write down for your reflection later, write down Ephesians chapter two. And I want to read to you just a couple of verses. Again, as a, as a true response to I'm, I feel nothing at the proclamation of Advent. I want you to hear this through. This is Paul. He's writing to Christians. He's writing to people who have become followers of Jesus. And he says this to them. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You're following the course of this world. You're following the prince of the power of the air. You're following the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. So he's saying, look, our story is just like everybody else's story. At one time, we were spiritually dead because we were following this. We were carrying out the desires of our body and of our mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Kind, hear this. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sin, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. That is verses 1 through 5 of Ephesians 2. Verses 6 through 10, just as amazing. So I'm asking you this morning, if you hear the angelic proclamation of Advent that, that a Savior has been born and it, and it doesn't cause you to want to worship and it doesn't cause you to want to seek the Lord, it could be because you are living in what Ephesians 2 is talking about what's true of Christians. You're living in spiritual death. And I think the remedy is for you to get alone with God and say, oh God, make me alive. Fill me with hope. Give me peace through your son, Jesus. But maybe that's the reason that some people, and it may not be you, maybe it's 
like people in your family and you're thinking to yourself, how can I pray for my loved one or, or students? How can I pray for my friends at school who feel nothing when I talk about the Advent story, right? How do I respond to people that I love? Pray Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 10 when you think about those people. Oh Lord, would you give them life? Would you give them spiritual life? So we've looked at three reasons that we may not be experiencing worship and seeking the Lord. We've looked at guilt. We've looked at distraction. We've looked at spiritual death. How about this? How about the idea that some people might be struggling today, worshiping or seeking Jesus because they're walking through an incredible season of pain right now? Maybe that's you. Maybe you've been sitting here this morning listening to me share all of these ideas and you're like, yeah, I see the angels erupting in worship. Yep, I see the shepherds seeking Jesus and I'm not doing that right now. I don't feel guilty. I don't feel distracted. I know that I'm not spiritually dead. Oh, there it is. There's so much pain in my life. So many storms, so much grief. I don't have the energy to talk, let alone praise God. What I want to do is to share with you some scripture. And I almost feel as though I have to say, I don't offer it in any trite way at all or any condescending way where I just say, well, if you would just read these verses, you'd be all good. No, because I know that the reason that many of us have pain is because of deep things that we've watched with our eyes or that we've experienced with our heart or that we're trying to work through in our brain. And we are so paralyzed by the storm that is in our life that I just can't open my mouth to praise God. I just can't give the energy I need to seek Jesus. I want to share with you some scripture. Before I do that, I want to say something bold to you. It's this. If that's you, we love you. And we are your people. And we're not perfect at all. Heaven knows that. And everybody in here knows that. But we are a people that care about you. We will walk with you. We will struggle with you. We will do our best to love you. We don't want you to suffer alone. Not during Advent season, not during any season. We want you to know that your pain and struggle isn't something that God is forcing you to walk alone. And that's one of the beautiful things about living in community in the kingdom of God is that we do this together. And so I want to say that to you this morning. I want to share with you a couple of scriptures that I pray over you for those who are suffering. Uh, but also I want you to hear these uh, because I think that they give you a great framework of what the scripture says to people who are suffering and living in pain. The first, I tell you, uh, was a great reminder to me last week. I don't know if, you, if you've been reading the Bible for a long time. 
and you read a chapter and you don't revisit it for a season and then all of a sudden somebody mentions it and you go, yeah, that's there. I forgot about how awesome that verse was or how, how incredible that chapter was. That happened to me last week. There's a precious family uh, here in our church. They recently experienced death. Um, a number of people here in the church, but one of our young adults, her, her father passed away of cancer and God allowed me to be a part of the service, but I was sitting over here during the service and one of the ladies in the family was reading scripture and she read Psalm 91, incredible Psalm. And if you're struggling, if you're walking through pain, if you're grieving or you're struggling through a storm in your life, I encourage you to go read that. It talks about God being a refuge, uh, this shelter that we can run to, that in our pain, in our suffering, we can run to the rock that is higher than we are. We can run to the refuge and find shelter from the Lord Most High. Incredible, incredible scripture. And as she began to read it, my, my soul just opened up. And I remember the last time I would study that text and I just wanted to shout out how awkward that would have been, right? Like, yeah, that's a great scripture right in the middle of this funeral service. But it was one of those like reminders. Yes, the psalmist remembered what it's like to feel pain. And the psalmist knew where to run. And I want to close our time not in the Old Testament, but in the New, because Jesus also understood pain. There was a time uh, in the Gospels where the disciples had just been running and going and going and going, and they had experienced some hard stuff, and they'd seen some hard stuff. And Jesus, they all show back up, and Jesus gathers the disciples together, and he says something uh, that revolutionized not only them, I think, but I can tell you it's revolutionized me in my suffering and my pain and the occasions that I experience it. He said to the disciples who became apostles, right, who launched the church, he said, come to me, all who are weary, All who are heavy laden, you may not know what that means, broken, stressed out, stomped down is what heavy laden feels like. Come to me and I will give you rest. Jesus didn't say run to religion. He said, come to me. He didn't say religion will give you rest. He didn't say that your local pastor will give you rest. I promise you, if I could, I would. But I'm not God. Jesus didn't say, distract yourself with busyness and eventually the pain that is ripping you apart on the inside will leave. He said, come to me and I will give you rest. So could it be that the people who feel pain right now are the ideal candidates to have the greatest response to the Advent proclamation? This child 
that the shepherds ran to see immediately. This is the child that would heal the hearts of people. This is the child who would look at the disciples later on and say, come to me and I will give you rest. I want to close with the same question that I opened with, which was how do you respond to the proclamation of Advent, to God coming near, to with intentionality, the living God, the God who made the heavens and earth coming near to us. I hope that it is either with worship or diligent seeking or both. But if it's not, I want you to know that we're praying for you, the scriptures that we shared this morning. For whatever reason it may be, I invite you to come home. Come to Jesus and he will give you rest. Would you bow with me as we close? Father, we close our time trying to even comprehend what that moment would have been like between verses 13 and 15. To in one moment hear the announcement and in the next moment to behold a heavenly host worshiping And then to see the shepherds just leave everything to go seek after you. We close, Lord, by confessing that we are like the shepherds. With important responsibilities and things going on, but our greatest need in this moment is to seek you to come into the presence of the Savior, the Anointed One, the Messiah of the world. And we feel all the things that try to distract us from that. Sometimes it's guilt. Sometimes it's distraction. Sometimes it's pain. Sometimes it's a mix of all of them. But in this moment, Lord, we make a conscious decision to worship and to seek you. I pray for those who are hearing my voice online or even those who are here this morning who may hear this message and look at the outline of their notes and realize that they're spiritually dead that with tremendous urgency, immediately, today, now, they would put their hope and their trust and their faith in you. That you would bring them from spiritual death to living life abundantly in our Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the blessing of Scripture, for an awesome morning of worship through song, this 
beautiful reminder of a lit pink candle of joy and the opportunity to walk through the scriptures this morning in a meaningful way. Bless us, O Lord, we pray as we close. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.